0: Hi there, this is the A Lot To Say podcast, a conversation-based project focused on unconventional career paths and the projects that consume us. I'm your host, Gary Williams, or Gaz as many call me, and A Lot To Say is part of the Alts Project's family of content, uh, obsessing about the overlap between creativity, technology and culture. I'm fortunate to spend my days working alongside technologists, artists, researchers and people who just generally give a damn about the world we live in. And I'm very lucky to be able to hear of some incredible career journeys over that time from some really inspiring people. I can't wait for you to hopefully discover some new and lesser known stories about the things people get wrapped up in and what led them to this point. This is A Lot To Say. Welcome back to A Lot To Say and this episode is with Mel Huang. She's an interactive designer and developer for the arts, culture and education sectors, collaborating with institutions such as Dark MoFo, Science Gallery Melbourne, NGV and Art Gallery New South Wales. She's a former sessional lecturer at RMIT teaching creative coding, a founder of Technicolor, which is bringing technical education to creative practitioners and the novice, and an avid fermenter behind No Fun for Children Hot Sauce. I've been looking forward to this chat. Anyone interested in the intersection between creative technology, design, art, education, cultural institutions, and more will get a lot out of this chat. So here's Mel Huang. Well, uh, Mel Huang, uh, thank you so much for joining me for a lot to say. I think I might have reached out to you quite a while ago. Um, so it's taken a, a little while to get um, this chat happening just based on circumstance. But nevertheless, I'm really, really pleased you took the time. So thanks.
1: No, thank you, Gary. Always, always good to chat.
0: So there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but (laughs) let's start with your current obsession with a mixture of, I guess, hot sauce, fermenting food and whatever else is going on in your um, creative laboratory, aka your kitchen. (laughs)
1: yes it's it's been quite a quite a journey um I'm currently taking a bit of a break just to kind of slow things down and and reassess um and I've been just obsessed with learning my grandma's recipes uh so she does this amazing these amazing broth noodle soups um and as part of that I needed to start learning how to make kind of a hot sauce that would go with that and I couldn't find one anywhere. Uh, so I started making my own hot sauce, which kind of started me on this fermenting journey. Um, and I'm currently at um, the level of fermenting kimchi, which is very yeah, nice. exciting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what's brought this about, though? I mean, you, you've just uh, referenced that, um, you know, uh, recipes and based on your, um, uh, you know, within your family. But uh, I mean, what, what spurred this on? Had this been something that you was, you know, gonna, gonna? for quite some time, or was there a particular prompt? Um, I'm,
1: not, I'm not entirely sure how it began, but I guess moving, uh, moving into lockdown and being far away from my grandparents and not being able to say, hey, Grandma, I really feel like this noodle soup, could you make it for me? Uh, and therefore having to learn it myself, I think, was kind of the trigger. Uh, but I think just as my grandparents are getting older, I realize that all this knowledge and all this history that um, of of food and recipes and their relationship with food as um, they migrated here from um, Cambodia, that's kind of getting lost in in the new generation. And and so I found it. I guess, really important for myself to start learning those recipes and start kind of celebrating that a bit more because it's such a huge fundamental part of our family unit. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I just <laughs> decided one day to start, um, yeah, while my grandma can kind of teach me the tricks, the tips and tricks, which she has no recipes for, by the way. So it's yeah, like, right. It's very difficult to learn a recipe when there is no recipe, <laughs>
0: Is she, um, you know, is she cool with you sort of learning the ways or is she a little bit like, you know, if, if, um, if I can't make it, you know, no one will (laughs) like like, (laughs) totally resistant, like, you know, you could never do it as well as me.
1: Uh, Yeah. It's hard to tell. Um, she, she's very in support of me being able to make it well, um, Otherwise, you know, she would rather make one that tastes right as opposed to, you know, eating what I've created. Uh, but she's, she's in pretty, I think she's more surprised than anything else because I don't think I really showed an interest in cooking or learning those recipes until yeah. I guess I hit my 30s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No fair. I mean, it's, it's funny this, um, disparity. Uh, like, so you're finding like all this enjoyment in, um, you know, there's you know really simple pleasures, um, and definitely tied into your family experience. But then on the on the flip side, you work in, I guess, relatively complex and, and complicated environments. You know, with technology and whatnot. So I'm sort of enjoying the fact that there's this sort of you know very two broad ends of the spectrum, um, in yeah. a sense. But I would imagine that obviously the cooking is not as um not as simple and easy as a, as it might appear.
1: I think it was more also just taking a break from the screen a little bit um, and doing something with my hands that didn't involve me staring at my screen, which is like most of design and most of coding um, is staring at my screen, really. Um, So being able to just detach and um, also be in an environment where it's not expected that I'm any good at it, if that makes sense yeah um yeah. you know it's something completely new completely different I don't need to be perfect at it you know I'm not dealing with clients it's just kind of me and my hands and time uh and and that component of it I think I've been really drawn to
0: oh that's awesome and, and so where, where is your grandmother um you sort of mentioned um that you, you know that she's where she is where, whereabouts is she currently
1: uh she's in Oakley so okay yeah so she's <laughs> Not that far away,
0: and and look to not to hone on about um family forever and a day, but um mm-hmm. but I you summarised an element of your life um you know like some of your life experience, career and and whatnot, and um and something you referenced was that you grew up in a massive family, mm. um with with a massive amount of people in in the house at any one time. <laughs> yeah. where, where did you grow, Where did you grow up? Was that um locally in Melbourne?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in um, in Oakley, down south, deep south. Well, not that deep, semi-deep south, medium deep south. Uh, and uh, yeah, I had a, a very big family. My mom has um, three sisters. Um, and my grandma, my grand, great grandma used to live with us as well. And my grandparents lived with us. Uh, and my grandpa had seven brothers and sisters. Um, so there's a lot of people kicking around. And I think because I'm a second gen um, immigrant family, having people, visitors come over or people newly migrated um, was very a big part of my of growing up um, and being able to house people that were looking for jobs or were working nearby, that kind of um, attitude uh, was really big yeah. whether I was a kid. So I was an only child and my mum was a single mum, but at the same time, I lived in a house of n- nearly twelve people at any time um, so it was a very very busy household
0: that's fascinating um i you, you referenced uh, there's so there's so much I want to dive into but um and there's aspects of education both in terms of i guess workshops that you run and and people you engage with um now, and obviously we're talking about an online era, but, but, you know, you've had a, a large amount of involvement in sort of in-person engagement exercises with, uh, with people of all ages, but may- maybe your own education, like, um, and we'll start to dive into, I guess, the projects that you've been involved in, some of which are, you know, really high concept. Um, and so I'm absolutely fascinated to sort of what's taking you to, you know, down this direction and led to this sort of um, creative project aspect of your life.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool.
0: So where did education start for you? Like, um, you know, did you study a partic- in a particular discipline that led to um, where you are now?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, actually. Um, Love it. I, yeah, I, Just take I came- it for a walk,
0: it's, it's fine.
1: <laughs> I came from um, a very academic high school. So um, when my, like when when my mum came here, um, she didn't finish high school, so Um, She reports that she was like impossibly bad at English and therefore she couldn't pass year 12. Um, So she dropped out quite early, um, but she always kind of stressed the importance of education and academia for me um, as a way of opening up doors for my adulthood which is i completely understand now and um so i was on track to be like a doctor or a lawyer um, and i went to a very academic high school like a high achievers high school where you had to kind of sit a entrance exam to get into this high school um so it was very selective um but as soon as i got there i kind of found art and design classes um and you really couldn't like tear me away from the studio. Like I would have lunch in the studio. Um, I would skip other classes to be in these art and design studios. <laughs> um, and so that kind of uh, doctor lawyer track kind of fell off the wayside a little bit. Uh, but my mom was always really encouraging to, for me, she was a bit worried. She was kind of like, I don't know how you're going to uh, feed yourself with this creative career, but um I'm always she was always really supportive of just doing what it is I wanted to do um and it was the reason I guess they migrated here um from Cambodia to to give the new newer generations kind of the opportunities uh to choose what they they wanted to do as a career path um so uh that was kind of where I came from and I started at um a because it was quite an academic school, uh, I found, uh, what is called LCI Melbourne here in, um, Victoria and it's a university that's only kind of geared towards, uh, creative careers. So, um, you do kind of a, a general degree where you can kind of have a little bit of photography, a little bit of visual arts, a little bit of design. And as you find yourself deeper, as you find yourself exploring those subjects deeper, you can kind of find what it is you're interested in. So you can define what your majors are going to be. Um, and I really loved that idea of this kind of more holistic or more encompassing idea of a creative career, as opposed to really choosing a very specific pathway like graphic design, yeah. you know, from the outset. Where, like, looking back in year 11 and 12, I, I wouldn't, I didn't even understand what design... Or graphic design even was or what the design world was or could be um, and so I'm really really thankful of having that opportunity of going to a university like that um, yeah so it was it was really uh, kind of a, a strange background to come from but I think also looking back um, and reflecting on my my childhood or my teenage years I, I always really approach things creatively um, so even if I was doing a science subject it was always like you know, making it look good and making it and flow well, and the presentation of the actual project, um, as opposed yeah. to perhaps concentrating on the content itself.
0: Um, so
1: yeah, Such it's um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting to to look back at that. But I think that's kind of been just my personality, maybe, and the way I approach things.
0: Yeah, I think um and. It's definitely, yeah, so that way you approach things, what struck me um, with yourself, so you've spoken on a few um, events I've run in the past, and I've seen you speak um, a few times, uh, you know, delivering particular demonstrations with creative coding and and more, but I think that what really struck me, um, it it was definitely, I guess, what you're advocating for in terms of that creative expression, but also um, you're a very good communicator with audiences in front of you and and sort of... um, really place a lot of emphasis on the the patients to communicate the, I guess, the logic behind what's happening and step through the process, et cetera. Is there, are these sort of, have you taken inspiration by seeing the way that other um, art, science, technology communicators have expressed their process and sort of adopted um, the same sort of mentality, if that's not too big a question?
1: Oh, huge question. <laughs> it's... um. I don't really know where that comes from I think I honestly think it comes from my mum and um she she was like a very she she was all about the hustle when I was a young kid like she was she was all about the connections like if you wanted the good uh, green mango, you know you had to make friends with the grocer that would get you the, the green mango that you wanted um, and for me it's. it's um, it sounds crazy, but so um, but I kind of lived in this world where it was just kind of me and her against the world and we <laughs> would find these people and I think I was always observing the way that she would communicate with people no matter what their background was, um, sometimes no matter what language they were speaking, um, and she would have this really amazing way of Connecting with people like almost instantaneously, and um, yeah, that that kind of the vulnerability or the um, approachability that she kind of had as an attitude towards everyone, I think was a really important thing for me to observe when I was when I was growing up, um, and kind of where where my head's at in terms of education and in terms of delivering talks that I'm really really passionate about almost keeping keeping that realness and keeping that um you know everything's open and i'm an open book and you can ask me anything um yeah. and that was so important for me during university so um yeah i'm always kind of i'm, I'm about that i'm about that
0: i'm I'm so glad i asked i mean it's um <laughs> I, I know it was a larger question but it's um yeah it's really cool to sort of i guess unpack a little bit of um uh, you know where you've sort of had these influential uh, elements throughout your life and how you've adopted them. I want to. I want to talk about. Um, I guess the the communication of work and and the people you're sort of teaching or interacting with. What, what's your What's the predominant makeup of your uh, audience or, or class or, or people taking in what you're delivering? And also, what specifically are you delivering?
1: Yeah. <laughs> very two very <laughs> good questions. Um, So I teach predominantly creative coding um, and creative coding in kind of quite a broad sense that I'm teaching technical education uh, for creative practitioners. So a lot of the time I have um, a lot of designers and artists looking to not kind of become coders, but to explore how code could potentially enhance or um, support their creative practice. Uh, so it's it's a lot of that. But also on the flip side, it's um, a lot of people that are technically educated. So developers, coders that have never really seen this side of coding before that um, they kind of, you know, had this experience of maybe computer science or um, a software engineering um, TAFE course. And they've never really seen this like weird and wacky world of artists uh, coding very probably very badly in their opinion but um but as but less of a less of a kind of commercial let's build a large database system um and more about um how can we use this as a tool for expression and um and what's an easy way of you know getting things visually on the screen um and yeah, teaching that in in kind of workshops is is what I'm really passionate about. Uh, and then I'm also a sessional lecturer at RMIT for creative coding um, in the digital media department. So that's working oh, awesome. specifically with um, artists, um, artists and designers, uh, and looking at how code can influence their practice.
0: That's really cool. Um, and and I've seen some of your so you have uh, I guess from an age spectrum you've certainly engaged with, um. Yeah, people from all ages. I've I've yeah. certainly seen some some um much younger focused um creative coding workshops um yeah. or, or make it maker centric workshops. How how has that sort of been in sort of applying your your logic or creative expression for that sort of age disparity? Um, and in particular, how how young audiences respond to it?
1: Yeah, it's um it's kind of interesting, like. I, I... I'm kind of really interested in um, education for young people, um, but also education for people much later in life as well um, coming to it um, and coming to computers in that way. and I think in both instances it's it's really exciting to see both both age brackets kind of adopting the computer in that in that way uh, and I think that's kind of different to perhaps what they're used to in more traditional curriculums or um, traditional knowledge of institutions, um, educational institutions. Um, So it's been, that's kind of why I'm really passionate about the workshops. Um, And I have my own brand called Technicolor, uh, which I do these creative coding workshops under. Um, And so it's everything from um generative designs so pattern making image making um and also um electronics as well so we have this uh, kids workshop called diy monsters um where kids learn a little bit about uh sewable electronics um and they're able to put together their own felt um creation uh, at the end of it so i think for me it's always very very important that um when they leave the workshop it's not just education um and ideas it's it's also like a tangible thing that they've created with their hands or created with their ideas and I think that's that's really the um what I really get excited about because I really want to see what they're creating as well so it's like I guess a little bit selfish in that way
0: yeah and and amongst (laughs) people right like that sort of um uh collective experience, I guess, in, in some ways, bringing people together and, and being able to, you know, have people observe, I guess, the fruits of their tinkering,
1: um, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, but, but also like, you know, a, a kind of safe environment where they can kind of see other people also learning the, the same sorts of things and what they create is so different to what they create, what you create. And, you know, seeing that, that variety in the room is really, really exciting.
0: Yeah. Um. And that's a great point. So, uh this is perfect to segue into. I, I know. Um, I be- I believe that was in collaboration with Code Like a Girl. uh wasn't it? Uh, yeah. The yeah. DIY Monster. Yep. Cool.
1: Yeah. There's one one that we've done with Code Like a Girl. And one that we did with City of Melbourne as well. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ah. Uh, cool. I um. Where I was going with that was um. I guess there were some elements of what I wanted to touch upon today in terms of. Uh, your involvement in, I guess, the, what you might reference as a local video game industry or, or even, um, I guess, a, a community involved with video games. And I think um, where I was leading to with that point was how you felt about bringing people together so they can sort of, I guess, experience something collectively with people that are like-minded and also your own experiences in doing that in a, a creative tech, creative um, creative group type Um, aspect as well so finding people that are like-minded how has that been an experience for for you
1: yeah I think it was really important for me when um, so I went to do an international exchange in the UK um, and it's it was called interactive media design Um, and when I was there I learned a bit of coding a bit of um, electronics um, a little bit of game development as well Um, and also um, like live visuals Um, the idea of doing live visuals. Um, And so I got kind of a taste of all those things. Um, And when I came back to Melbourne, I was really seeking out um, people that were doing, like people that were in between industries and in between practice, creative practices um, that were really kind of being these bridges for other people um, to create projects and ideas um, that didn't really sit neatly in one box. And, um, I came across an organization called Media Lab Melbourne. Um, yep. and I started attending their events, but, um, also offered kind of ha- to help, um, organize events and meetups, um, and, uh, workshops, uh, which is where I kind of started to learn how to host workshops and, um, what flavor I wanted to bring to them. And, uh, having those spaces, um, are really, really important. I think for um, when you're kind of starting out, and I remember asking specifically um, a member of Media Lab Melbourne called Brad Hammond. He's um, a really incredible um, creative tech guy, um, and I remember asking him like, "How do you how do you do the projects that you do?" Because at the time, it was so foreign to me that um, design could even really touch those areas, um, which sounds really crazy thinking about it now but um, you know the education that I received for design was that um, you know you could you could do photography and you could do brand and you could do this and you could do that. Um, but it never really touched on how design really impacts a lot of different industries and how you can have a passion of a certain industry and use your design skills and coding skills to really enhance those industries. Yeah. Um, and so being able to be a part of a collective like that um, and then also opening the doors to other communities such as, you know, Code Like a Girl, for instance, or City of Melbourne, or um, there's there was also this incredible bar called Bar SK that I just am a total fangirl of that's sadly closed now. But um, there are all these kind of spaces where Um, people from different backgrounds were kind of coming together to share ideas and share um, experiences. And um, they were like super, super important to me um, as I was kind of making my way through my career. And I think that kind of only spurred me to make sure that those spaces exist for future generations. Moving forward, um, so that's kind of the inspiration, I guess, behind why I'm involved in in those sorts of groups. But um, I think it's a really important part of um, building community and building um, kind of a, the future designers that I want to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's really it's really cool. I had actually seen you posting um, a little bit ago about well, bemoaning about the fact that um, <laughs> uh, be- bemoaning that um, something like bar SK doesn't exist anymore but you know sort of remarking on really positive experiences maybe um to elaborate on that one for obviously for people who might be listening and and not familiar with what bar SK was um did you want to talk a little bit about that and then maybe it'd sort of um I guess uh you know bring to light I guess some of the motivations you had in sort of surrounding yourself with people in that type of environment and how it influenced you moving forward
1: yeah so it's it's um, it was kind of a, a strange space for me because I'd never really, uh, it, it, I'd never really um, investigated games very heavily. Like I I'd, I'd had a little bit of education in it um, when I did that interactive media design course, um, but I'd never really thought about making my own games. That just wasn't even a thing, um, that was that interesting to me. But I was really interested in um. D.I.Y. electronics and making your own strange kind of inventions, Um, and I had very, very bad electronic skills, (laughs) but enough to kind of cobble together these strange demos or these strange objects um, that were really exciting to me, Uh, and I found Bar SK which was a bar in Collingwood that was really centered around um, like DIY controllers and the indie game scene Um, and it was just fascinating to me that there was this there was this space that was just so it had this really like beautiful kind of hacker mentality but also just creative and and expressive um, and and really kind of this safe space for like um, all the in-betweeners that really I felt didn't fit in their own industries um, to come together in this really strange spot to see other things that people were building locally. And I think that that idea um, of that kind of like grassroots organisation, like, you know, the, the artists are also the visitors and the visitors are also the artists, like that kind of environment was just so fruitful Um fruitful For me to get to know these other weird in-between industries that don't quite fit into their own industry um, and the people within them and the events that they kind of run and um, taking that sentiment with me into my own practice as well um, was really inspiring and so that that place is really and they also had really great beer (laughs) Um, but yeah um, but, but also you know like it's very few and far between that you can find a space that's like relaxing that you can kind of kick back in that wasn't too busy and you could also like look at this strange wonderful art that hadn't been dictated by like a really big organization or big institution um and was like curated for the people by the people type of deal and so um yeah that that place is incredible and I think. hats off to Dave and Louie um who created that together and um really took a risk and spent a lot of hours kind of making sure that that space was one that is going to be remembered forever I think in Melbourne so um yeah
0: oh it's really uh, awesome. okay. <laughs> yeah yeah look I'm I'm really glad I asked because um you know you, you had referenced it recently I I was um struck a little bit by you know I guess some of the um you know experiences is just sort of mentioned by being in there but it's uh, it's always um you know i like the some of the elements you touched upon about you know sort of that sort of messy embracing imperfection type element but mm-hmm. yeah certainly finding um an element of community and something that other people would regard as you know relatively subculture and it mm-hmm. might be subculture <laughs> but that doesn't mean that um you can't find Yeah. Like, you know, people to make, you know, some very, very strong connections with and, you know, influence your practice further. So I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned a couple of experiences, but when, when we were chatting about jumping on this chat, uh, you did an amazing summary of all these sort of things you've been involved in and, and Mm -hmm. um, touched upon various aspects, but you mentioned uh, three pivotal moments or, or a collection of Mm -hmm. pivotal moments And because you mentioned the interactive media design um, course, that that was in, I guess, the second one. So maybe I might go chronologically with these and start with what you compiled first. And that was um, being in an audience and seeing um, the work of Ennis, um, United Visual Artists, and so on. Do you want to sort of start from there? And we'll talk about, I guess, some of these, um, you know, really shaping influences in your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've spoken about this in a little bit of the other talks that I've, I've done, but, um, one of my first very pivotal moments for me was, um, there was a conference called AG ideas. Um, and whilst I was, I think in university, first year university, they made us go to this AG Ideas uh, conference, which um, was really, really wonderful and it was a lot of kind of designers and um, magazine layout artists and uh, design agencies and studios kind of showing their work and and talking about their process and things that inspired them, Um, which was, which was all great, but for me, it never really, it never really kind of, I never really perked up to them, you know, like I was really inspired by them, but it never kind of like blinkers on. I'm staring at this stage and I'm so intrigued. And it wasn't until um, the work of NS came on. So NS are a studio in Melbourne who do interactive installations and um, they came on stage. And I remember, um, uh, Nimrod and Steve kind of standing up there quite young um very like just didn't really fit the mold of what I saw a speaker be at that at point in my life like I'd never seen anyone kind of stand on stage and present the work that they did and talk about the process and and in in quite a not an unpolished way but not in a staged way you know yeah. it always it always really felt like the speakers that I saw were like super established and they had this one this one speech that they'd prepared and they, they do that speech everywhere, you know, and they just know it back to front. But in the same way, it wasn't connecting to me on that personal level um, yep. where I could see that they really were passionate about this one particular niche area. And um, when I saw Nimrod and Steve on stage um, representing NS, they um, spoke about this, I think at the time it was this uh, installation that they were doing with Red Bull. Um, and it was these uh, snow sculptures that they were project projection mapping, which back then was really intriguing, but obviously everywhere now. But um, these projection mapped snow objects that they were creating that were obstacles to these snowboarders. Um, in the dark um and interactive so it was interactive with the snowboarders going past it or through it or on it um and it was just this amazing i just never seen design interpreted in that way before and it was kind of this moment of realization for me that i was like wow this is like this is so new and fresh and it's kind of the future of design and technology and i think it's going to be great and I can't wait to build something like that. Um, and that kind of really spurred me into looking for other similar studios like United Visual Artists and Art and & Com um, and looking at where I needed to push myself so that I could be in that industry. Um, and so I pushed to go abroad um, to, yep. to learn interactive media design, which is kind of what spurred that, um, that want to go abroad and see what other studios were doing, but other universities were doing as well.
0: So, so, um, and, and as you're referencing um, interactive media design overseas, so this is, I guess, that second pivotal moment that you'd sort of summarise, but mm. um, so, uh, so you've had, uh, I guess, you've sort of found, I guess, some companies or brands that you sort of really respond to. And and may I say, I've, I've had some similar experiences um Uh, in my life from hearing people sort of present in that way that I found that really spoke to me personally. Um, Mm -hmm. Peter Williams, who's with uh, Deloitte, um, spoke about um, gamification at one particular talk that I went to, and I just absolutely loved the way he delivered it in a Mm -hmm. a very unpolished but, um, you know, affable way um, that that I just fully clicked with. And and by the same token, other groups like... uh, um, uh, teenage engineering presented at Pause Fest a, a few years ago that I just really resonated with because of the some of the absurdity of what they were talking about and, and some <laughs> of the self some of the self deprecating like delivery yeah. like you know Love um, it. Yeah. and I think uh, all, all those little like you know personality characteristics that creep through when presenting um, you know it, it might strike a chord with not every person in the audience but it definitely <laughs> yeah. will resonate with a few and they'll sort of they have the ability to remember that um, long-term and sort of shape um, at another sort of influencing factor to what they do personally.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, um, that's kind of what I go into my talks thinking about that, you know, it's not trying to convince a whole audience about your worth or your success or your projects or your excitement. It's like convincing just that one, per- like being that one person on stage for that one person in the audience. Um, is kind of why I push myself to do something that obviously I'm not super comfortable with on stage. Um, But I always remind myself how important that moment was for me seeing uh, NS on stage and influencing my career. And if I can be that one person for someone else in the audience, then that's kind of job done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll ask uh, this um, and before moving on to, I guess, some of the other work you've done. Um, and this is maybe more in regards to you and your personality, et cetera. So if you have someone, um, deliver this type of content, so let's use NS as, as an example, Mm. does that prompt you to, uh, approach them personally or sort of seek, seek them out to, um, learn a bit more from it or, or is it sort of maybe at that time in your life to just sort of you know bank you know bank the knowledge of what they sort of shared but sort of keep it as a reference point as opposed to in, engaging personally
1: <laughs> it's very interesting that you've asked this um but i i sent a very embarrassing fangirl email to <laughs> a very generic um email that ns had on their website um just saying like not asking for a job or anything just saying like exactly my experience i'd never seen anything like this before and like where can i see it in real life and like how can i experience it and um you know just making that first step in connection um with them uh is very embarrassing to look back on but also very like gutsy yeah (laughs) because at the time you know these these people on the stage when you're a student just feel like rock stars. They just feel like these kind of like, s- these people that are super established would definitely not have time for you as a student. You don't even know what you're doing as a student. Like, and like, what could I possibly say to them? You know, it's like that star struck kind of uh, feeling. Um, but what I found in approaching them in that way was that it really showed like my excitement, my, my true excitement that I had found them. And I think they resonated with that as well in the same way. Um, and I ended up actually interning with them, um, as my first internship, which was like, just so scary (laughs) to go into, into work, I guess, um, in that way. But, um, at the same time, they taught me so much and they, um, were always super open with me about, um, you know, their experience with the industry, with clients, with making projects like this, and it was just like an invaluable experience for me. Um, All from the one really strange fangirl email.
0: (laughs) I, I, you know, um, Ms. or Mr. generic email ended up getting back in touch, Um, so you know it wasn't to no avail, but. You yeah. know, it's it's funny sliding doors moment, right? Because you sort of, um, you know, if you'd never taken that approach, you know, who who knows where it's sort of, um, you might have remembered the talk like fully well, but, you know, if you'd never sort of taken a bit of action, you know, some agency for yourself to like approach and just see what would eventuate, then, you know, yeah. things might have taken a vastly different turn for you personally in your career.
1: Oh, definitely. Like I, I owe them so much and um, they still act as, I guess mentors for me, if I'm ever feeling lost, I kind of reach out and and, and keep talking to them throughout my career. And I think, um, yeah, I just, I owe them a lot. They're just incredible humans as well as really, really inspiring work.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think it's, and also, I guess by, by telling the tale, it's also, um, you know, it's a good, it's good advice for, you know, young up-and-coming Um, or or sort of amongst your peers, but emerging designers and and people working in the creative um, industries to, you know, just, you know, just, well, explore and get curious and ask questions, um, what have you really got to lose, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I it's one of the things I always tell my students, like, it's really hard to fake enthusiasm. Like, it's really hard. <laughs> like, it's better if you're just enthusiastic about something and just be open about it. Um, yeah. And because that kind of really shines through and separates you from, um, you know, people that are probably pay- playing it a little bit more safe. Um, and yeah, connecting with people on that level of like, your work inspires me and I want to do work like that, uh, is always going to get you somewhere. Um, maybe not the first door you try and open, but you know, many doors will open like that.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I sort of, uh, you know, sometimes I self-reflect. I'm like, Christ, are they, you know, I'm pretty enthusiastic. Do they just sort of think to themselves, fuck, is this guy serious? like, do <laughs> But, you know, like you know, it's um I think it's just, yeah I've, I'm easily excitable by um you know things I'm interested in and like exploring, so um yeah. you know, wear them down eventually, I guess.
1: yeah, it's funny that you say that <laughs> it's funny that you say that, guys, because yeah, I, I'm always like super self-conscious about it as well sometimes, where I'm like, am I just really overwhelming? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, my excitement really just it's like too big for the room. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. just being obnoxious, you know, at this point. But um yeah, I always just I always just think about like I can't really I can't change who I am <laughs> and I can't change the things I'm excited about. So I might as well just lean in. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and look, you, you would think about that a lot at the beginning of the journey, but I, I guess, you know, experience would tell you, like, people people truly do appreciate um, people who uh, get excited about the work they create and I, I guess also express it. Uh, it's yeah. I, I think people, you know, really find that valuable and especially to see that it's striking a chord with, um, you know, young people, emerging people. I've sort of, as I've started to observe people more and more, I've just seen that people... They get a little further along in their career journey, um, start to enjoy aspects of seeing, you know, the next wave come through, and having that yeah. element of mentorship or or little little pearls of wisdom that they can pass on to, you know, the next people in line.
1: Yeah, definitely, and it's so important.
0: Oh, it is. It is. Um, all right. Well, l- look, let's let's lean into that third pivotal moment that you would sort of mm-hmm. referenced. Um, and I think I want to ask you what you sort of meant by learning that a company can't be everything uh, for you. So um, you've you've put forward a broad range of work and a lot of it cultural institution focused and not your sort of traditional workplace, so to speak. But I'd love to lean on that aspect that you summarised, which is um, a company can't be everything for you. Do you want to yeah. start there?
1: Um, yeah, it's, I kind of identify this moment as kind of a really... Um, Kind of a shift in—it's like a gear change in my career—and um, it was, you know, I'd I'd worked as a junior designer and I was doing, um, I was getting paid to Photoshop, which I thought was just the most incredible thing that I'd ever experienced, um, and I was seeking out all these r- studios that were really influential to me, like interactive installation companies, um, and making contact with them and, and successfully making contact and working for some, uh, and then I started kind of looking into web design and digital design. I was really interested in doing more long-term projects as opposed to event based projects. Um, and so I started doing that kind of digital product design, the startup world, that kind of, um, direction. Uh, but I kind of realized after a couple of jobs that I, That I couldn't satisfy everything within myself and my creative practice with just the one perfect job, Um, which sounds like maybe a straightforward thing to think about. But at the time, it was really, I was looking for that studio, you know, that I just wanted to dedicate my practice to and to give everything to. And that was just the way that I realized that I have the personality type that's either zero or a (laughs) hundred. which is quite (laughs) unfortunate um so you know when i'm doing something it's very intense and very like i'm gonna put every ounce of energy towards that thing um and so i couldn't find that perfect studio but of course that perfect studio doesn't exist um and it was kind of like it's like the idea of fairy tales, you know, the, the, the one studio that could do everything for me creatively and artistically and commercially, you know, um, and I realised that if I wanted the projects that I was really after at the time, which was kind of more in that cultural institution space, you know, to do design for a gallery or for a music festival or for an arts festival was really kind of the direction that I wanted to go in. And um, I realized that I couldn't just simply seek out the studio that did the design for National Gallery of Victoria. Um, And I didn't necessarily want to just work for the National Gallery of Victoria. Um, And so I was like, well, maybe I can freelance and maybe I can seek out these opportunities myself. Um, And that first um, opportunity was with the National Gallery of Victoria, and it took two years of talking to the multimedia manager there (laughs) to get a casual position in the digital department um for the national gallery of victoria but i'm very glad that i persisted with it Um, and that kind of opened doors to more cultural institutions like art gallery new south wales and um dark mofo and mona like it it kind of just spiraled everything out of control Um, but at the same time, it was really important that I took that leap of faith and, and said, like, if I really want those projects and those types of contracts, then I kinda need to search for it myself. I can't really just rely on a company to search that out for me on behalf yeah. of me.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's good. Uh, I guess it harks to um, you know, your your capacity to create it for yourself. So self initiate and, and certainly you know even as a lesson in persistence, you know like two years of um uh reaching out and just you know being in their faces uh, eventually it's almost <laughs> like you, you presume you never it, the thought never occurred to you that it would never not happen it's just uh it just happened to take a bit longer
1: <laughs> yeah well it's really it's really just like a timing thing a lot of these things is really just being there at the right time, having the right kind of availability you know um and it's not really a reflection of your capability as a designer. It's really just a, like stars aligning type moment um, and just being open about being there. You know, like yeah. I'm available whenever you need me. I'm just going to keep telling you that until <laughs> you have a moment for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Obviously, um, you know, in certain cultural institutions or, or, or brands, et cetera, um, you know, have their allure but also carry with it an element of bureaucracy. Was it, um, mm-hmm. was it uh, I guess, deflating in the sense to, you know, enter into sort of larger and larger groups or, or la- you know, regarded larger, you know, a bigger sort of presence in the minds of the general public, but um, was it deflating in some sense to be, you know, someone who was used to sort of, creating things and making things uh, happen quickly and then Mm. sort of entering into some, you know, some sometimes lengthy environments unnecessarily?
1: (laughs) Yeah, slower moving waters. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, Look, I think there's just, there's pros and cons to both sides, right? Um, A lot of the work that I was doing as a a digital designer was working with organisations that were trying to get a website up or trying to get this like interactive installation up. And so they'd never really built anything like that before. Um, And so in terms of the like um, capability internally, the the clients were kind of equal in that way. You know, they were kind of all trying to do quite emerging solutions uh, with their technology or with their digital, you know, projects. Um, But yeah at the same time it's kind of like national gallery in particular was very interesting because it is a really big organization um but it's broken out into very small groups um and so the multimedia department that i was part of was like there was only really four or five of us um which comes with its own kind of baggage i guess um of you know responsibility but at the same time we did have to work quite fast um in comparison to um to probably the the rest of the organization uh because yeah. of the type of work that we were doing um so i don't think that really changed um but yeah definitely there's there's definitely pros and cons in terms of like working for big organizations versus smaller organizations um and in terms of responsibility but also speed at which you work um, but I kind of really like that um, that mixture of kind of going in and out of different companies that are structured differently, different teams, different makeups, because I yeah. feel like that means that the projects that come out at the other end are very different um, in terms of what you can and can't do. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a great perspective on it. Um, Well, I would love to dive into these um, projects and um, obviously time disappears quite quickly. So (laughs) I would love to, you know, we've talked around about, you know, projects you've gotten involved in, but maybe we'll dive into a couple of specifics. So I might just rattle off some of the groups you've been working with and maybe we can dive into, uh, and and in some ways, some of the absurdity of like, you know, (laughs) some of the projects that eventuate. But I I would love to know a little element of... um, how they eventuated um, what that sort of creation process uh, looked like and what you took away from it. So maybe let's start with uh, Mona, Mona and uh, Dark MoFo. Yeah.
1: um, Mona. Wow. Um, So uh, Dark MoFo needed a digital designer and um, I – crazily put my hand up and said, yes, I would like to move my partner and my dog and cat to uh, Tasmania for six months for this <laughs> festival that I hear is very wild. I'd never been there myself. Um, but obviously as a designer, it is a dream brand to work on. Um, and I was like, I'm all in like I'm just gonna move and we'll see what happens. And uh, so we went down to Tasmania for six months. Um, a real change in like lifestyle, I guess personally but um professionally it was just the wildest time um and the i guess passion and energy and i guess vigor that the team put into a festival like that i'd i'd never i'd only ever attended festivals uh so i'd never been on the other side where i could see what it takes to really get an international um, artist from, you know, from a country like Iceland or something to come and stay here in Tasmania. Um, And the fact that, you know, the international flights aren't great to Tasmania. So like, you know, and all just all the logistics involved in like venue management and, um, you know, crowd control and security and like, custom toilet signs, like all that kind of stuff is like stuff that you just don't even see when you're a patron. Um, And then, yeah, seeing kind of all that, how much energy goes into that lead-up of the festival was really inspiring to me to just witness and be a part of. And I think um, Dark Mofo was one of the – was also a pivotal project for me because – I felt for the first time I was almost liberated as a designer. That that a lot of design is very like colouring between the lines. It's very like trying to figure out a solution that works within the brand confines, within the project confines, within the budget, um, and being creative with those restraints. Um, Whereas dark mofo and also like being functional, like a lot of technology needs to work. Um, and needs to consider how you actually navigate a website for instance um and dark mofo really just like threw that out of the window like they just threw it out (laughs) they threw it out with the garbage they were like you know dark mofo the way that they viewed it was it's an it's an it's a total experience it's a holistic experience as a festival and that doesn't not include the website and the video and all the photos that, you know, all the photos got coloured treated in this like red and black kind of like gothic way um, of bands that may may or may not fit into that, you know, corner. And it's really interesting to see a create a festival like that that's so dominant with the way in which they work and the process and the look and the brand and everything from like, you know, as I said, the toilet signs to the boots of the people that are working the festival, like the, to the, um, you know, the high vis is branded, like it's all, it's all considered as a festival totality. Um, yeah. And being part of that as a designer is just, it's really so special. And um, I really, I felt like from that moment, I was a lot more confident or daring to put my own personal influence into a design project. Whereas before that, I was very hesitant to kind of infuse my own taste into um, into a project.
0: Yeah, I see. Yeah, I get you. Oh, that's, um, yeah, it's really cool. And again, I guess it's leaning into um, some of those, whilst they have that sort of as you're referencing that consistent, um, whether aesthetic or just consideration across the board, um, nevertheless, that sort of um, messy, imperfect um, mm-hmm. element sort of prevails. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a perfect segue then to what about your work with um, Science Gallery? Um, o- oh. Of course, I've, I've also had involvement with Science Gallery. And while you and I did not uh, collaborate with each other in that context, we'd sort of just passed and missed each other. Um, yeah. But tell tell me about your work um, with that team, and and I guess you know, as another sort of accumulation of experience, how that sort of um, develops you as a as a person and designer.
1: Yeah, Science Gallery in Melbourne is a really kind of special one. I've worked with them um, since their very first uh, pop up exhibition, Blood. Uh, and uh, every every year it seems they come to me with a very strange collaboration that they're doing between an artist and a, a researcher um, and a strange artwork that they wanna bring to life. And, uh, and so I do a lot of the interfaces or the visualizations as part of those artworks. Um, but um, it's been a really exciting, I guess, initiative to see grow and develop over time uh, for Science Gallery Melbourne, um, but for the artists and also the young people that are involved in the team at Science Gallery Melbourne as well. Uh, And it's just really, it's really exciting to see spaces, as I said, with Bar-SK, you know, these spaces that really only exist in between disciplines um, and can only exist between disciplines and not like between, I don't know, abstract painting and, you know, figurative painting or something, you know, like really like science and engineering and, um, research and artistic expression and, you know, performance even, uh, and how, how those things come together and what new ideas and new opportunities formulate when those people come together. And I'm really excited, like really happy to be part of that um equation which is kind of yeah the things that really inspire me
0: yeah no very awesome and and, um I mean there's some parallels to I guess the work that you've been doing in science galleries context for you know anyone listening like engaging with 15 to 25 year olds in you know stem or steam Hmm. based um projects and exhibitions etc so yeah it's definitely adds a um a new flavor to you know what's in melbourne but but certainly um with that youth emphasis is um yeah there's something really warm and and awesome about it but uh, of course that team embrace um imperfection and Mm. absurdity a fair bit as well and uh, sort of um very very self-aware very self-aware of how um you know i guess uh that you know might stir up um Certainly, controversy in some ways, but certainly mm-hmm. um you know deeper thought and and introspection, which is really cool
1: yeah, I think that that that's also you know a, a really important part to acknowledge, i guess in when you're working in this emerging technology space or you're working in between disciplines, it hasn't been done before, so it's not it's not the safe choice, you know yeah, and so approaching it with that experimentation um mindset, I think is really important to. Get everyone on the same page. That it might not always work. You know, it's not thoroughly tested. It's it's always an experiment, and it can always be improved. And there's no like hard deadline. Um, yeah. Of yeah. when we have to put tools down, for instance.
0: And um, obviously, your personality fits right in uh, amongst uh, <laughs> <a> bunch, <laughs> and the bunch of oddballs that run it, but. Um, <laughs> But, um, let's uh let's let's go into i guess um and now a, another series of um, projects that you've been involved with of late um and that you've actually been the recipient of um some awards as as a result, which is really cool so um I don't want to sort of embarrass you by mentioning it, but you know I think it's always really cool to you know get some recognition of um the work you've produced and um and the peers you surround yourself by with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a Women Leading Tech Award uh, recently, you're a recipient of. How did that eventuate?
1: Oh, yeah. So um, how did it eventuate? It's it's actually a really big part of um, when I was at AKQA um, as my role as lead designer in research and development. Um, they were really interested in kind of pushing, not pushing my story, but, like, exposing my story because um they saw that I had done all this kind of extracurricular activity outside of um my I guess career path as a designer um and they were really kind of celebratory of that and really flexible with their arrangements with me on on like work hours and things like that so I was only there for four days a week um and really supportive of trying to bring light to that and celebrate that and it's awards are a funny thing <laughs> because it's so much in how the award, um, how the submission for the award is is written. You know, like oh, yeah, you never really you never really meet the person that is looking at your submission, and they never really kind of interview you as such. It's really so it's not like a like a job interview in that way. It's kind of this like what you look like on paper um and I think it was a really good opportunity for me personally to kind of take a step back and be like holy crap I've done I have done more than I really thought that I I I had done um because day to day you're kind I'm just kind of like doing the thing I need to do Um, (laughs) you know and I'm just kind of chugging along and just making sure I hit deadlines and making sure money's coming in and like making sure I'm inspired and that I can give all my energy to this thing I'm concentrating on now. Um, and then you kind of stop after a long time and realize that you may have not slept in that time or, you know, like it doesn't really like it doesn't really equate the, the it was kind of the women leading tech one specifically was just looking at the last year of your of your career yeah um and when I kind of looked at that and took a step back from that I was like oh goodness like I hope my friends are okay because I might not have seen them (laughs) and there's like so much I don't know like I I don't know how much energy I had expended on all the stuff that I was excited about and the projects that I was commissioned to do and the initiatives that I was really excited about that I wanted to give energy to um, and I was just you know this it was just a lot Um, but it was really good that um, AKQA were kind of really defined even though I said you know I I'm really busy at the moment and I really need to just concentrate on this project they were like no it's like it's not important and you need to actually you need to do this because we really think that it's it's more important to celebrate the things that you've done than for you to get some extra hours on, you know, the one project that you're doing now, because you have to really look at your career in the totality, as opposed to, you know, what you're doing specifically right now. Mm. Um, And they were really um, helpful and I'm really glad that I did um, because yeah, it's, it's, it's always nice winning awards, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a conflicting thing as well. yeah um, yeah yeah.
0: well look it exposes your work to a a wider audience and it serves that purpose which is great uh what about some specific projects that you worked on with um that team and ones that you know were you know personally fulfilling in in regards to um you know stretching yourself further and further as a as a designer and creator yeah um akqa
1: um is is really such a wonderful place. They, um, they have a team called the research and development team. I think it's called the innovation team now, but I was the lead designer there with, um, a couple of developers and creative director, and we were working on quite strange projects, I would say, um, but strange in a really good way. And, um, probably my most favorite project, um, that I got to work on was action audio. Um, and so action audio was an initiative that launched this year. Wow. Yeah. This year, um, at the Australian open. And it was a, um, a project that aimed to sonify the game of live tennis, um, for people living with a vision impairment, um, blind or with a vision impairment and, um, being able to reach out to those communities. Um, of blind tennis players, which if you've never seen blind tennis before, uh, you need to Google that because it's just the most incredible sport that I've ever seen. Um, but essentially, you know, um, being able to sonify where the ball is in real time for a tennis game so that uh, tennis fans or sports fans can uh, kind of listen along to the live action of the game Um in real time. So it spatializes the ball. So you can hear kind of whether it's on the left or the right, whether it's far away, whether it's close, Um, and also kind of uh, looking at the trajectory of the ball and the speed of where the ball is travelling. And that was a collaboration between AKQA and uh, Tennis Australia and Monash University. Um, And being able to kind of work in very, you know, all those organisations are very different But bringing together people that are real spokespeople for that project um, and seeing what we can create out of that um, was really, really beautiful and um, some really meaningful work to me personally. um, And being able to, I guess, use my skills and use my skills in design, but also um, in the greater kind of like community-building um, yeah. ideas that I really love and and being able to meet people that we were affecting and giving time to and um, being able to, I guess, show them a live tennis game for the very first time, like them being able to follow along with the game for the very first time in their lives, even though they're huge tennis fans. Like that, that kind of experience is really... Is really powerful and will really stay with me for a long time. Um, but yeah, investing time in those kind of larger projects and larger initiatives uh, was really um, was really fruitful in, I guess, framing what I could do with design and code. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I, I mean, it shines through that you really enjoy, um, you know, the research phase as well, and, um, mm. you know, diving into, you know, the machinations of, you know, what these projects are and how they would eventuate, but. Yeah, that's that one in particular is, um, yeah, has a has a really cool, you know, social good community engagement type aspect but relating to sport, yeah. which I think is um, very awesome. Yeah. Oh, look, um, I, look, thank you for diving into them. I sort of, um, I didn't want to dance around. And obviously, we we focus on a lot <laughs> of projects within the podcast in general in terms of people I'm speaking to, but I get a big kick out of it because I get to find out, <laughs> you know, ask, you know, find out live about all these projects that people work on. So it's definitely know very inspiring to me um you summarized a little bit about what's going on at the moment so I guess Mm -hmm. as we start to wrap it up now um I know that you've been working with a a few people on some you know upcoming at when it can happen some creative technology meetups which is really cool um so I'd love to ask about what what's sort of born or brought to light that idea but also then you've talked about having real change in your life currently so why don't we dive into those aspects
1: yeah so um the team that I was working with um at Media Lab Melbourne um when we were creating when we were doing meetups and talks um we kind of really ramped up for a while and and held these events um and then obviously life got busy and then COVID happened uh and so we haven't really had the opportunity to do that and uh we still keep in touch a lot of the team and, and we were thinking about, uh, yeah, bringing back creative tech meetups, um, just as a really casual being in the same room with people that are creating similar things. Like that space is really, um, really being robbed of us in a way, uh, that we haven't really had the opportunity to do that. And we kind of do that just personally as friends when we can, uh, yeah. and opening up that, environment or that space again um would be is kind of on our list to do um but obviously you know it's a bit uncertain at the time at this time so uh we'll see as soon as we can we will um, yeah, nice. create some more meetups but um yeah it's it's really yeah i think it's really important to kind of keep that keep that going locally um and really focusing on local community and and creative technology in that, creative um emphasis on the creative side of that um is really quite important i think for making sure that our local community kind of stays very strong and resilient
0: yeah i i um i'd I'd echo that i definitely um have a have a nerds to um i guess get together with people but in the more sort of like casual unstructured way but Mm -hmm. but nevertheless to be around real people, not just simply, um, you know, doing it over digital platforms, which is you know, yeah. largely unappealing to me. Um, yeah. Apart from apart from podcasting, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but but you know what I mean. Like you know, j- jumping on continual video calls is you know just ain't it. So um, yeah. I think yeah, definitely, I, I uh, harbour the same you know wants I reckon for the near future. So I'll have to attend. Is basically yes. what I'm spitting out. But um, yes, please, guys. <laughs> but but let us let's, let's end on this sort of uh last aspect, so um you know uh, apart from you know making kimchi and and making hot sauce <laughs> and and whatnot so you you're 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 implementing some changes in your life and um I'd love to know a little bit about it is it um what that's been born of and and how you're sort of finding that experience.
1: You know what? Funny you mentioned that, Gaz, because actually a post that you did on LinkedIn kind of inspired this thought. Oh, um, yeah, right. What yeah, did I, I, so what did I, say? I think you, I think you, <laughs> what did you say? Which post was that? Yeah. Uh, you were talking about um, just like burnout, the real, the real, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, need to take a break and um, the, the effect of lockdown and the effect of this kind of like world that we're in now is really you know either amplified or dulled I don't know um the very real burnout that can happen if you work too much essentially um and I think that's kind of where I'm at at the moment like not burnt out but just um really finding the need after many many video calls and many like taking you know, work calls inside my home and and really blurring the lines between my personal space and my professional life. Yeah. Um, even though it was already quite blurry, but you know, it's even more blurred and it, like uh, amplified now. Um, I just felt I just felt like I was kind of drifting through my life. If that if that kind of makes sense, but yeah. Um, I yeah, it's kind of a very strange feeling because. Um, you know, last year was a really big year for me, like I was winning these awards, and I was part of these really amazing projects. And it's kind of like, you know, the perfect, the perfect role for me. And then all these freelance opportunities were coming in that I really absolutely loved. Um, And in the back of my mind, I was always like, don't take this for granted, because this is, you know, this is what a lot of people want. And a lot of people don't get the opportunity to work on these projects and so you need to say yes to those projects and so i was saying yes to all these projects and then kind of forgetting that you know i was i was due to be married last year at the start of the year um we postponed it twice um we also in that time moved into a new house moved into a new area um and i felt like i just was not even part of of that story. Like I would just, I was kind of, you know, I was feeling like I was um, drifting through these really important moments of my life and like, like sitting at an award ceremony, for instance, and getting an award, but not really feeling like I was really present or acknowledging any of it or any of the projects that I was working on. Um, and yeah, so just realizing that I was in that state of mind. And I think that's why I kind of stopped everything and said, hey, just for a while, I need some time out and some space and just nothing on my horizon. If that, you know, it, it's it's kind of a strange a while, thing. I'm guessing. Yeah, well. for the first time in a while. And I feel like that's what lockdown kind of produced that it um, it just filled your schedule from like a minute to minute type Deal where it was like you know video call from this time to this time video call from that time to that time this time to this time you can work on some stuff then you know and rinse and repeat and um I was really needing that kind of what I realized was the time that I used to take when I used to just go away and take a really long break and go traveling that that way of disconnecting I didn't have anymore Um, And I really needed to take that time to disconnect, but also realize I couldn't travel anywhere. So I just needed to just take a break. Um, And I didn't really need a reason that I wanted to go to Iceland, let's say, um, (laughs) to take that break and take that time for myself. And so I think that's been a lot of the um, kind of thinking that I've been really exploring like my family and friends and really tapping into what I want to do personally or, um, you know, what my grandparents' childhood was like and, and things like that that are really kind of grounding me at the moment, um, which is kind of the first time in my life that that's kind of been the focus as opposed to, um, you know, what new project I was really excited about or um, what direction I wanted to go in my career. So. Yeah, it's kind of a change of pace, but I'm really quite enjoying it. I highly recommend it to anyone that is able to, to take the time, if they can, to give themselves that time to explore um, yeah. what, what it is that, you know, really does drive them or what they really value in life.
0: That's really cool. Um, and I, I get a sense that um, you're, um, yeah, uh, reflecting a fair bit and appreciating, I guess, the influences and... You know what's inspiring you like a uh, a lot more at this particularly at this point in time. Like it feels like you're reflecting and thinking about the the things that generate excitement for you. So I think it's um I'd speculate that it's it's going to have that sort of positive effect on the back end as you venture back out into new projects and you know start to reach out to people and say um I'm back I'm back I'm <laughs> so back. <to> speak. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah 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 definitely I think um my my whole, my fear was really that I'd fall out of love with the thing that I really loved. And and that's some uh, like a really scary thought, um, but uh, also a really real thought that I think burnout can produce if you let it kind of fester for too long.
0: Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm
1: very, very thankful that I can take this time.
0: Yeah, and um on that I think I mentioned I think in a post, I think it was around recalibrating, but certainly um it was self inflicted burnout as well that I referenced in regards to myself because oh, completely self inflicted. It was just it was just, you know, um uh what would you say, expectations I placed on myself, um, mm. you know, feeling paralyzed by the fact that I had all these things I wanted to do and just couldn't muster up the energy to do and felt that I mm. should should have been able to. So it's a yeah, it's a journey. I guess, but, you know, reflecting on it is sort of, um, good. It just takes time. eh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I kind of am trying to, trying to do like that idea of nothing on the horizon is just like terrifying, but also like, I think what I need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look, Mel, I want to thank you for the really extensive chat of, you know, I've always, um, really enjoyed our interactions. It's been, it's been a while like in person, but obviously Mm -hmm. I, um, I look from afar and it's just such a shame that, you know, we've like worked for similar, uh, well, the same places and yet have um, (laughs) just missed each other um, a few times. But um, regardless, I'm really excited for this this next phase of life and I'm going to keep an eye out for the creative tech meetups um, in particular. I'm I'm really excited to sort of join in with that. But look, um, take care of yourself and, you know, thank you very much for taking a part today.
1: No worries. Thanks, guys. As always, been really lovely to (laughs) chat.
0: My pleasure. <laughs> that was my chat with Mal Huang, founder of Technicolor and avid hot sauce creator. You can find her online at melaniehuang.com or on Instagram at Melaniehuang. Till next time, thanks for joining.